At Closer, our number one value is God's word, the truth in it, and the power in it to live our lives well. In fact, you can't grow closer to God unless you understand his word for you. And you can't grow closer to others unless you are living and abiding in that truth. So we put that at the top of our priorities. We want to communicate and to teach God's word well. And one of the ways that we do that is we raise up leaders to teach from his word to their individual communities to their individual churches because no one else knows an individual church like the people in their church. So we're starting a series on how to teach God's Word. This is for the layperson who wants to know how to teach God's Word in their local church. It could be used in a small group or it could be used in front of a crowd. These are principles that are so important for us to know in order to communicate effectively. And we're going to launch the series with our model. It is a sermon from um, Pastor John, my husband, and now you might be thinking, wait a minute, you just said this isn't for pastors. Well, it's not, but sometimes looking at a really great teaching by a pastor can help us to understand what we want to do when we teach and how we want to lead when we're teaching. So this is by my husband, Pastor John, and guess what? It's on the power of God's word. So how could I not share it? I hope you'll be blessed by it. Grab some paper, grab a pencil, and you want to start jotting down not only notes about the power of God's word, but look at some effective tools that he used to communicate clearly God's truth to his people. As Christians, we know we are called to be disciples who make disciples that live in love like Jesus. But what does that mean? Is it a program, a path, or a script? Is it a focus on study or a focus on connection? Or do we focus on outreach and service? Discipleship can seem overwhelming if you don't know where you are going. Closer Look's mission is to not only define the destination and the path, but to also give you the training and tools to navigate the way. Join us for our bi-weekly series where we'll talk about leading a group, developing a teaching, and being a good disciple maker. Learn to grow closer to God and to others through a closer look at discipleship. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Grace Community Church. We're so glad to have you here. So glad to have those of you online uh, joining us. Um, just excited to, to be able to worship together. And as Sharon said, you know, just through song, through prayer, through the word, um, just the many ways we can worship our God. So I'm going to uh, continue our series. My name is John Keeler. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I'm going to continue us through the first and second Thessalonians series. But before I do, we've got a handful of kids in the audience, and I know we have a lot that tune in as well, and so I'm just going to try to do something a little bit fun. I invited a friend of mine uh, to come visit me. Come on up. So I invited this man, this superhero, uh, 
His name's Wolverine. I don't know if anybody knows Wolverine. He's got some special powers, but he's going to keep his claws to himself. But we're going to introduce, so for you children and, and for those of you young at heart, when you look at these superheroes, and I tried to, you know, you got your guys and your girls, which superhero would you like? So I'm going to say the name and just raise your hand if you would most likely want to be which of these superheroes. So we've got Doctor Strange. Now that was my oldest son's favorite, so we've got a few there. Okay. Let's go with uh, Captain Marvel. Okay, we've got a few. All right. <laughs> All right, we've got Thor. Who wants, I mean, I always, I always loved Thor. I knew you would be, Andy. Yep. All right, or Black Widow. This one was, oh yeah, there's a lot. See, she's popular. So, you know, we're in, a, we're in a time right now. We're coming into a month away from that time when people like to pretend they're superheroes. Right, Wolverine? Thank you for your, t- thank you for your time. We'll, we'll let you sit down before you... You get me in the back if, if, if I go too long. Um, so we, we, we talked about superheroes, and, and you know, I, I always think about how much we love fantasy as, as humans, right? We love to watch you know, movies, read books, fantasize about the world that, that is beyond our reach, um, things that kind of help us escape our boring lives. Some of us have a boring life. I don't. But, uh, right? <laughs> But I I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton. He summarized fantasy and our our appeal to it in this. He said, its purpose was to take the everyday commonplace world, lift it up, turn it around, and let you see it from another side so that once again you can realize it for the first time and see how amazing it is. So that's kind of his description of fantasy, imagination, and when you think about it, um, who knows the, the verse, Ecclesiastes 3.11, where it says that God put eternity in our hearts, right? So within every person, whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever, he created us with this, this need for more, this ability to experience the supernatural, right? And this eternity in our hearts. So it, it, it brings us to this point of why do we all want to be a superhero when we're, when we're kids? And I personally would love to be Dr. Strange and not have to commute or do different things like that and just be wherever I want. But it's, it's over and over again because we want the power that comes with it. Now, I'm about ready to get into 1 Thessalonians, and you're probably thinking, what in the world does all this have to do with 1 Thessalonians? Um, no, I am reading from a legitimate translation of the Bible. But what I'm going to prove to you is one point that you will say that you agree with me, you'll all say, yes, I completely agree with you. But your actions actually show that you don't actually believe it. So what is that one point? Well, the point is that there's supernatural power in the Word, in the very Word that we have in our Bible. And yet, many of us don't realize that you don't need to be struck by lightning to get this power, you don't need to be exposed, by, exposed to gamma radiation or think it's find an infinity stone or something like that. You have it. It's all yours and it's right here, but we don't use it. Now, God gives us an amazing imagery of how powerful his word is. He says in Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 in the New Living Translation, 
The rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out. It always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper wherever I send it. And then in Hebrews 4.12, we see a description of the power of this word as well. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So with all this power, why don't we use it? Well, let's pay attention. I'm going to first open us up in a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. We just thank you so much that you've passed it down through thousands of years, through humble servants, through men used of you. You breathed into their very lives your words. You inspired this writing so that it could instruct us for today can guide our path and make it clear. It'll give us light in the darkness. And Lord, we see that we are so much living in the time of darkness. We just ask for your power, for the motivation to take you at your word and your promises, that this word would be alive in our lives today. Amen. So our series is First and Second Thessalonians, and it's called Rooted. And this specifically, we're going to go over rooted in the power of the word. But before I start, I I want to ask you another question, but this one, don't raise your hand because I'm afraid you might give me the answer I'm already assuming. Um, I know it's the same for me in my life, but think about this. How many of you would believe that you're sufficiently rooted in the word, that you spend enough time in it, that you meditate on it? And Really think of this question in the context of the rest of your life. So I always think about it in comparison to other things. Are you more rooted in your job? Does that have more of a hold in your, in your mind, in your life? Your family, even good things like that. Um, your hobbies, your friends. Um, sometimes your, your uh, iPhone video games, I don't know, your Netflix series. But we, we have to wonder sometimes, and my wife challenged me early on when we were married the one time. I spent um, a little bit of time in the gym. I used to spend about an hour and a half um, working out and, and trying to stay healthy, which sounds like a good thing. Um, but I would then spend about a half hour or less on my devotional time at night when I was tired and, you know, giving God whatever was left over. And she challenged me, and, and to that day, it, it stuck, and I never, like, I'm, I like to be challenged in some cases, um, but she said, what if you gave God half the time, like, the same amount of time? What if you split that time, an hour and an hour? Like, what, you know, then you would, would at least be setting an equal priority in your life, and it really challenged me to think, yeah, what, what do we think about? Like, and when we think about our children, and we say we want them to grow up and be godly adults, out on the mission field, preaching the word, grounded in the word, right? We don't want them to be tossed around by this world. And yet, how much time do we spend actually rooting them and grounding them in the word? How much time do we spend 
over social things, school things, um, sports. I think in this season, things are getting a little upside down, but, you know, think of pre-COVID. So when we think about the importance of the word, let's turn to our first section of First Thessalonians, and I'm reading from 2, 13 through 14 in the English Standard Version. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word from men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Jesus Christ that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So in this small section of 1 Thessalonians, I'm actually going to start to unpack a piece of of this important text. Um, We're teaching through, expositing through 1 and 2 Thessalonians on purpose because every word of God has meaning. Every word of God is important. And sometimes, you know, I don't know if you've done this in your own study, you, you go through two verses and you get stuck because there's so much there. And I, I don't want to blow through these verses, so I'm going to really unpack just these two verses today and, and back that up by other scripture. And I think you're, you're going to find it helpful. So we'll first see that Paul praises them for the response to the Word of God. And he gives two, um, two praises or two main points for their response to the Word of God. And first, it's that they actually accepted the Word of God for what it is. They didn't accept it as just man's uh, knowledge or, or Paul's own opinion, but they knew that it carried with it the divine power of God. And what what's so humbling to me is that when I get up here and I get to to talk to you, or if you teach a Bible study, or if you're leading a small group and you get to exposit or you get to talk about God's Word, you're giving that same life-giving power. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to use you in the same way. This, this Word is powerful, and it's a very humbling experience. And, you know, I, I don't take it lightly because even Paul, you know, when, he's, when he speaks to the Ephesians in 3.8, he says, um, to me... The very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ Jesus. And it, and it makes me realize, one, if Paul is the very least of all the saints, I've got no chance to stack up, okay? And two, when we get to preach the word of God, it exposits it, it unveils the, the full unfathomable I can barely say that word without stumbling, riches of Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a miracle that we get this opportunity, and yet we take it for granted. And we forget, in this case, the, I, I, you know, I think sometimes in the context of this Bible, this, or your app, or whatever you use, we have this physical version of God's word. We forget putting ourselves in the, in the shoes of these Thessalonian believers they had no written word of God in, of the New Testament. They had some of the um, Old Testament scrolls and scriptures probably available to them. But at the point in time when he, Paul visited, there was no written New Testament scripture, no gospels. You couldn't leaf through and back up what he said. But at the time, you know, God would speak through his apostles and others 
and, and give them prophetic ability to deliver God's very words that are now written down many years later. But just with this amount of word, this, this orally you know, passed down word from Paul, they had such a great work in their lives that we, we don't even realize that their testimony radiated through all of Macedonia, all of the areas around. People were hearing about them becoming saved, ripped from idol worship, and willing to, to worship and serve God just through the power of the words that were presented. The next point is what we hear about when Paul says that they're imitators of the other churches, and they were imitators of the apostles. And as you, I'm sure, you, like two Sundays ago, I think it was when we went through First um, Thessalonians 1, 5 through, 5 through 10, we saw that Paul talks about this church becoming imitators of Paul and the other missionaries, and Christ himself in suffering affliction with joy, in facing persecution with perseverance. And that's, that's the kind of work that this word does in your life. It's an encouragement to others. And, and even six years later, after this period of time, when Paul's um, giving them a commendation for their perseverance, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul actually speaks again of the Thessalonians' persecution, that they had endured a severe trial and test, and they continued to give evidence of their faith. So this, this work was lasting, and this work was persevering. And I think of a famous story um, that many of you probably heard, um, and it's got an important date if you've ever studied church history. But there's this man uh, named Martin Luther. Many of us know who he was. He was a 16th century monk, and after actually accidentally stumbling upon a Latin version of the Bible and reading it and studying it, he, he came to the conclusion that justification, that salvation was by justification by faith alone, not by works, very contrary to the church, the Catholic church that was um, in control at the time. So it was a very uh, uh, unpopular opinion that he came to. And yet because of this belief, on October 31st, 1517, he nailed his 95 theses to the, to the door of the church in Wittenberg. And immediately, he was labeled a heretic, right? And he was brought in front of the emperor and, and demanded that he would recant. His, his life was on the line here, at least for the very, uh, his job, his position, everything he had, he had worked hard for. And his response, he says, unless you prove to me by scripture and reason that I am mistaken, I cannot and will not recant. My conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against my conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. There is nothing else for me to do. God help me. And, and we, we don't have a clue what that's like. We don't have a clue what that type of perseverance and, and persecution looks like. And so we kind of lose track a little bit. We, we forget that there's countless examples of, of this type of perseverance under pressure throughout all of, of history. People burned at the stake, right? Labeled heretics, stoned. And then even more recently, you know, in our time, there's, there's a lot of countries that are very hostile to the word of God and to Christianity. And so there are a lot of uh, folks out there persecuted, uh, martyred Christians um, for their faith. 
even today. And so we, we hear these stories, but we are so detached from it that we say, yeah, but I don't need that superpower. I, I don't need that. That's not something I face, and, and God help us that it won't be in our lifetime or my children's. But that very same superpower also has other powers in our lives, and, and we don't realize that it's every single thing we need. And I'm going to get into that. So what type of power does the Word have for you, for me, and, and for our everyday life? I'm just going to hit a few highlights, uh, some of the main ones that, that, that um, come out to me and, and really speak to me. And there are many other um, Believe me, I, I was, as I was studying for this, there's probably, you know, no less than a hundred different points. I'm going to leave it down to five, so I'm going to let you out early. Um, the first one is that it has the power to set free. And, and I mean set free in the sense that, that Paul talks about when, when, he, when he's speaking to the Roman believers in chapter 6, he's talking about, don't you realize that you're a slave to the one that you obey? And even as believers, we become enslaved again. Unfortunately for us, we don't become perfect at the time of salvation. We don't move beyond um, all the, the lures of sin. It still drags us down, right? I think we're all in that same boat. And so it hooks you in. And, and these Thessalonian believers, believe me, they had just as much temptation as we do. They were in a pagan society, idolatry, um, just types of sin we probably don't uh, believe happen, and yet they were in that culture, and they couldn't, they couldn't just lift out and move somewhere else. So, similarly, we're in a, in a culture that I think, whether overtly or subvertly, we see so many um, lures of temptation, so many um, just subtle drags of our attention, things that pull us in other directions, maybe not something that would be overtly sinful in, in some senses, but you're really a slave to whatever you obey, to whatever you follow, to whatever you repeatedly do. Um, you know, things like addiction, um, bad habits, right? Unhealthy lifestyles, language that we use, the type of Words we use to our family, that becomes a habit, that becomes something we're enslaved to. But the Word of God is so powerful that it sets you free. And we'll look at what Christ said in John 8, 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I love that verse because it is the truth of the Word. It's just simply reading it. The truth of the Word sets you free from addiction. It sets you free from bad habits. It can replace those things that, that you have held um, in your lives. And, and, it, and it helps wash away. I, I hear so many stories, um, and I actually knew of someone that gave their personal testimony that, were, that, that was just drugged down into the world of addiction just at the bottom of their lives. And they, they, they had nowhere else to turn. They ended up in a hotel, scraped together a couple dollars for, for an overnight uh, visit, and, and they didn't know what to do next. Didn't know if that was going to be the last night of their lives. And, and, you know, lo and behold, how many of us have seen that Bible in the drawer? 
the Bible in the drawer. And, and I think we sometimes think it's cliche, but you know how many lives have been changed by that Bible in the drawer? When people get to the rock bottom and they open up God's word and they see the life-giving words, how it can change you. And it, it, it gives me goosebumps to think about what the word of God does in your life and, and what it's done in my life. And Psalm 119, 9 through 11, it opens with a question I think uh, many a young man has asked. How can a young man keep his way pure? I struggled with this thought at 18, 20, 22. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, it has the power to keep your ways pure. It has the power to keep you from sin. But just as equally, the more we ignore God's word, the world starts to cloud our judgment. It starts to tell us certain things are okay, right? It starts to bury the truth of the word, and then you're trapped. The, the next one, um, the word of God has the power to equip. And that's one of our famous Christianese kind of words, equip. Um, but in the context of God's word, it really just means it trains you, it teaches you. And, and think about it, it prepares you for spiritual warfare, the attacks of the enemy. It prepares you for the fight that you might be walking into. And it prepares you for every good work that God has prepared for you. And, and think about this. Um, if I said, how many of you are students or were students or are currently taking a, a, a class like myself and Kelly and some others? Um, but if, if you were given the option to take a very important exam for your job, for your, your grade, and, and you were allowed to use the source book, the actual book to use in your, in your test, and you could you know, look it up and, and find all the answers, you'd be a fool not to take advantage of that opportunity. And that's yet what we do. We have the, the book. We have the manual of life. And we refuse to open it when it comes to those challenging times or when we want to know what to do in life. And yet, here we see in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, it's a famous quoted verse, where we know that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, I'm sorry, may be competent, equipped for every good work. You see, this is a real important point for us in this church, okay? We really believe in making disciples and equipping believers. We don't want people to be out there on their own. And the Word of God actually does first the job of equipping you. It builds you up, it equips you. But then the problem is, or the challenge is, it's now your responsibility to equip others, so some of you need to be equipped, and we want to give you that, and I'll, and I'll get into a little bit of that later. But other of you are equipped. Maybe not perfect, right? But you're equipped. You're ready to, to start pouring into other people's lives. For you parents, your number one responsibility is equipping your children in the Word. 
And that's a really serious responsibility you have before God. And yet, as I said, how many of us give it proper time? So it's, it's one, we have to give it the proper time and attention. We have to take the time to walk our kids through the actual words of God, to teach them, to disciple them. They are at an age where the world is telling them everything and anything, and that every idea they have is okay, it's right. You can choose whatever you want to be. You can choose whatever you believe is right. We have to help them see the truth. You see, children will be brainwashed. It's just a matter of whether or not we're actively helping to give them the truth in that process. So how else do you do that? Well, you have to model it. You can't tell your kids to have their devotions or study God's Word and then never do it yourself. Think about that. Do they see that you're picking up the Bible and reading it in your time? Do, you, do they hear you talk to them about what God's speaking to you? Do, do you say, hey, kids, you got to hear what God's saying to me in my personal devotions. Listen to this verse that I, that I went through. Or sometimes I'll tell my kids, you know, it always comes in threes. And then I'll tell them, you know, this is what I mean when I say God's talking to me because I read that verse, someone talked to me about that verse, and then I listened to a song about that verse. So I better pay attention. And, and, and they get the fact that it's, it's alive. It's a real faith. They don't want something that's dead. So if, if it's not alive to you, well, then it's not going to be theirs when they grow up and leave the house. It doesn't work that way. So think about that. And someone once challenged me way back, and I, and I take this to heart. They said, you know, nothing against apps and using your iPad and, and digital devices to, to look at the, the Scripture. That's convenient. That's great. You have study tools and every version you ever want. That's great. But when you're a parent, you've got to be opening this book because they don't know when you're sitting on the couch having your devotions on your iPad. They don't know what you're doing on, on that. And you want them to see you in the Word. You want, they, want, they want to see that this is real, that you carry this, that it's, the pages are worn, that you're duct taping the outside, that it means something in your life because this is the only thing that matters. We see in um, Psalm 119, 97 through 100, I love this verse. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Now, now this psalmist is not a guy or girl who picks up our daily bread and reads it the one page and five minutes later out the door, right? Think about it. He says, it is my meditation all the day. Are you meditating on the word? Are you letting it penetrate your mind, be the first thought, the last thought, every thought. It also has the power to renew. And um, boy, I think we've all been in places where we need that, that renewal, that rejuvenation, recharge your battery. 
And yes, vacation is great. It can help. It can help. But there is no substitute for the word of God renewing you. It renews your mind. It strengthens you. And and think about in a day when we feel so stressed, right? We're always stressed. We're always busy. There's so much going on in your life. And if you are in in a season like that, then think about it this way. If you're running and training for a marathon, do you eat more or less food every day? That's a pretty easy answer. Because you're, you're in a physically demanding period of life, so you need more calories. You need more food. You need more fuel. Well, it's the same when you're in a stressed out period in your life. That's when most people just close the book and, and throw it on their, on their shelf. Why? Why do you do that? Because that's when you need more food. That's when you need more spiritual sustenance. That's when you have to open it more and be in the Word. We read Psalm 19.7a. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And I I like other translations that will say refreshing the soul. And you get this concept from, if you've ever uh, read Psalm 42, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul uh, longeth after you. So uh, you think about this deer that's been chased by a predator all day and all night. That, like, I, I used to think it was such a sweet song, and then I realized the context of it is this deer was pursued by a predator, and all it needs is a drink. It's about ready to drop over, and it's exhausted. And that's what David's saying, and that's what he's saying here when he says, it's reviving your soul when you're empty. It also strengthens you. In Psalm 119, 28, boy, I've, I've prayed this prayer to the Lord. My soul melts away for sorrow, strengthen me according to your word. It also, another translation more um, accurately can say, my sadness is about to kill me. It's about to kill me. And I most relate to only a few times in my life, God's been gracious to me. I'm thankful for that. And yet there have been challenges in my life. When my wife and I lost our, our first child, you know, I, I was a believer my whole life, and I believed in God's goodness, and I prayed um, David's prayer, you know, that, that I can't be with her, but, but someday I will be when I, when I die, and, and she's, she's in heaven. And that's a comforting thing to some extent, but it, it really, but there's still emotion, right? There's still that hurt, that sorrow, that sometimes it, it feels like it's melting you away. But what, what helped me, and I, and I have to say, you know, we're all, um, we're all human. So there's times, you know, you drive by, I would drive by a, a dad with, her, with his child on a swing or something. And, you know, you wonder, are we ever going to be able to have kids? Are we ever going to get through this? And yet, my dad, um, thankfully, he would print out scriptures and encourage me to read through and pray through the Psalms. And if you're in a hard place in life, if you're challenged, if you've lost someone, do that. Just, just read through one psalm a day. Just, just read through it, meditate, cry out to the Lord. He'll hear you. Because what I love about it is, you know, you have one psalm is, is, is in anguish and, and, and utter despondency, and yet 
Then there's rejoicing in God's goodness, in his faithfulness, in his mercy. And something about praying the truth of who God is just can revive you. It can renew you. The last thing um, before we move on, I, I would say we're all in a difficult time right now. And I think we all need to be sharing Scripture with others, encouraging others, helping to renew and revive relationships that are, that are strained. Please, please be in the Word. Please be in prayer. I know many folks had an opportunity to, to go to the, to the prayer march, um, and just the, the testimony that that, that can give um, can really make a difference in our, in our world today. Another point uh, is that the, the Word has the power to reward. And we all like rewards. We've all been programmed to believe in rewards or, or to look for the reward at the end of, of, of hard work. We see in, in Psalm 1911, Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. And, and one of my favorites, you know, if you've studied through the book of Joshua, Joshua 1.8 says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And, and hear me clearly, I am not talking about uh, prosperity gospel, that you read your Bible and you do good things and you give that you know, you're going to have health, wealth, and prosperity. No. But from a spiritual sense, we are guaranteed that when we are walking in the Word, when we are obeying the Word, we're in God's will. And there is no greater place to be in, in trouble, in sorrow, in circumstances. If you're in God's Word and in His will, there is great reward for that. There's protection, there's peace, there's comfort. There's earthly joys that you could never get from anything here on earth. And there are joys to await you in the, in the afterlife. So the, the last item, we, we know this. We know this, and this is the gospel truth, right? That the word of God has the power to save. And, and my question for you is, how many of you have personally led someone to the Lord over this past year? And you don't have to raise your hands, but think about it. How many people have you personally led to a saving faith in Jesus Christ this year? And maybe even how many do you feel like you have shared the gospel message to someone in your life? And I know it's a little harder right now, maybe digitally or whatever, virtually. But think about this. It, it, Romans 1, 16 actually gives us the specific answer we need. And yet, I think a lot of Christians forget this formula. He says, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And what he's really saying here is the actual words of God need to be present. The actual gospel message needs to be delivered in order to save. We need to share the truth about the incarnate Christ who was the word of God who became flesh, who died on the cross for your sins and my sins to set us free, to become our Savior, to raise again, 
and to be at God's right hand interceding for us. We have to lead people through biblical passages, Romans Road, uh, various verses about salvation, because just being a nice guy or girl or just telling someone that you have your devotions or you, or you read the word or you go to, to church, that's not going to save someone. And, that, and yet that's what most Christians are trying to do out there. But the word of God has the power to save. So let's use it. So we know that the word of God has just tremendous power. And I, I think of this funny story. And, and we talk about its importance in your life, right? And the nourishment it gives you. I, there was a story of this 17-year-old girl who collapsed at work. Her, her mouth was swollen shut. She was rushed off to a hospital. They found that she was malnourished because she was only eating chicken nuggets, McDonald's chicken nuggets every day. How, how many, any kids out there like that? Only eating chicken nuggets every day. Some, some adults. Well, she, she learned the hard lesson, and, and this is a joke my dad would probably say, but man shall not live by breaded nugget alone. Um, sorry, just one dad joke, right? No. <laughs> but, but the interesting thing about this is that it's the same with our relationship with God. See, we're not just physical beings that need physical foods, and we do, but we're spiritual beings, and we need spiritual sustenance to keep us alive. And yet, everyone knows that American Christians are illiterate, biblically illiterate, a LifeWay study showed that only 30% of Protestant church-going Americans admitted that they had been reading their Bible daily. 30%. So if I look around this room, good job, everyone. Good job. You guys, you guys, I don't know what's wrong, but... So the other thing, I, I was reading something in, in my studies, um, that only 5% of of Christians, adult Christians, know what the biblical word of grace really means. They, they, the other 95% think of it in terms of, of, of modern American English. They, they, don't, they haven't studied the term. They haven't studied what it means in their lives. And so we, we have what? You know, an epidemic of depression, anxiety, alcoholism, abuse, divorce, why? Because we're all malnourished. People are sick, even Christians. Unfortunately, the Christian world looks not much different. And that's, a, that's the sad thing. That is the sad thing. Well, what are our excuses? Everybody has them, right? Well, I'll give you three, and then we'll close with a really interesting story. So everyone uses the same excuse all the time for everything important in life, right? Get ready. Lack of time. Lack of time. Even in COVID season, when you're stuck at your home, you've got lack of time. Everybody's busy. No time. You'll find something to do with that time because we all have the same amount of it, but everybody says that they don't have the time. And I'm not going to buy that one. And I'm going to challenge you to not believe that lie. And I know that some of you are thinking what I would always think when I was in the pews growing up and when I had a business job and I was sitting there thinking, yeah, but it's easy for you to say, guy up front, don't you get paid to study the word? Like, isn't that, 
what you spend your time on? And yes, maybe so. But I can promise you there was about 17 years of my life when I had a, a strangling job where I, I worked the typical 70 hours a week and then for bonus time at night, you know, I'd spend an hour or two catching up on all the emails that I, I couldn't get to during the day. And I had three kids and I, you know, coached, uh, was their head coach of the wrestling team and active in my church and leading a small group and uh, you can feel the, the strangu- you know, strangulation. And, and yet, I found that it's all about what you do with the time you have. It's all about adapting it's all about adjusting and fitting things in. Um, I like to call it the saturation effect. I would, I would make sure that the Word of God was part of my day all day long because I needed it. I needed it to stay afloat. I would listen to verses during my workout. Um, in the commute, I would either listen to a Bible on, on CD or uh, a podcast, uh, you know, diving into the Word. Worship songs. I'd, I'd also have um, memoriza- like Bible memorization cards handy so that I could memorize Scripture. But it's, it's all about finding the time. You have it. Make it. And, and, if, and if you're most of us, we do have a little bit of spare time, wasted time. I'd encourage you to, to replace that with something more important. The other thing that people say is lack of education. And that's, that one I'm not buying either because couple things. Yes, we're not all called to be pastors or teachers, maybe not, but we are all called to be disciple makers, right? Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 19 calls every believer to be a disciple maker. And another thing that we know is that Scripture says, uh, Jesus said in Luke 10, 21, in a prayer, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. It's not for, you know, the academic. It's not for someone who's gone through an MDiv or, you know, courses. You can pick up your Bible and understand it. It's, it's for you. It, and the other piece, too, encouraging is we have the Holy Spirit. Everyone who's saved has the indwelling Holy Spirit who illuminates the Word. We see in... in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So we we have that ability. And then the best thing for you, if you're listening um, online or if you're here, you're in a church that has so many resources, so many people who would be desperate to to disciple you and to take you through the Word. We've got ladies' um, Bible study called Closer. They're actually going through how to study your your Bible more effectively. Um, We've got classes and materials, um, small groups. Just look around. And in fact, after after church, stick around and we'll talk to you about um, some of those resources if if you really want to know. And then, unfortunately for some people, I think it's a lack of faith, really. They don't believe Either that it is inerrant, that the, that the Word of God is divine, that it's, you know, completely from God, and, and, they, and some people don't actually believe that it has power. I, I guess they don't. They just put it on the shelf and they don't look at it. And I, I love this quote. Someone said, most people don't read the Bible because they don't like the Bible. But people don't like the Bible because they don't read the Bible. See, that's, that's the awesome thing. 
just pick it up. Start reading it. You'll love it. It'll, it you know, God will, will create um, just a passion for it in your life. And, and Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that faith will, will become a, an outflow of your life when you start reading his word. And, and for me, and I, and I spoke to my, um, I talk to my men's group all the time about this. God is always speaking to you through his word. He's always speaking to you through his word. He always wants to communicate to you, not just in the big things, but everyday life, every day, every moment of your life, he wants to be speaking with you. But he doesn't do it with an audible voice, unfortunately. He does it through his word and the words that you've committed to your mind and through other, other believers. So you have to be paying attention. So let me read this story. I think it's a motivational story that's simple. Like, I, this is not like one of those really like hard, difficult, end of, you know, bottom of the barrel kind of situations. It, it's by just someone like you and me. This woman writes, by God's grace, I just finished reading the Bible for the fifth time. When I was in my 20s, I didn't even think it occurred to me that I could actually read the whole Bible. It wasn't until I was 33 and in a discipleship group that I was challenged to do so. Reading the Bible all the way through changed my life forever. It changed her life forever, but how? Before then, my understanding of Scripture was like a collage of pictures just glued together on a poster board. I knew bits about the Bible and a little story here and there, but I didn't understand how they all fit together. In fact, I thought that the God of the Old Testament was at, at odds with the, the God of the New Testament. They didn't, they didn't jive, right? One of love and one of, of fear and, and, and anger. And That January, with my discipleship group's encouragement and accountability, I opened the Bible to Genesis 1-1, and I read all the way through. And I averaged every day three chapters. I walked with Abraham in the deserts of ancient Mesopotamia and wrestled with Sarah as she waited for her promised child, I observed the brutality of mankind and how it infuriated God. The stories of God's wrath actually began to make sense to me. Who would want a God that didn't get angry at oppression and injustice and murder? Page after page, I saw the suffering sin always brings and God's continuing tender call to his people. Come to me. Make me your refuge. Give me your hearts. Turn from your sin and suffering and come to me. I started to realize that the Bible wasn't a rule book, but a love story. And even now, the very same God who called Abraham is calling us to himself through scriptures. His love for us pulses through every point in time and pursues us right now. Every time you open your Bible and you read its words, you are close enough to feel God and his very breath. It's in this sacred book that he tells us about himself, about ourselves, and about how much he loves us. So I think that's an encouragement that just even just opening the word of God and the impact it can have on your life, changing your perspective. We need it, right? And I hope I've convinced you of that. So I have one challenge. What do you think it is? One challenge, that's it. Just accept it and, and I'll let you go. I want to challenge each of you from this day forward to start reading God's Word every day. Pick a Bible study plan, start in Genesis 1-1, 1 
Start in the Gospels. Get with a friend. Find some accountability. But read God's word every day and tell me in a year when you see me that you can't tell me an infinite amount of stories about how God changed your life and those around you. How, you have, how he had molded you into someone you never thought you could be. So instead of wishing we're some superhero or another, right, and um, so having something we, we don't think we have, we, we actually have it. And someone just reminded me of this great quote by Tim Keller. Um, Tim Keller says, It's remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeal for changes in their circumstances. Think about that. And, and take me up on that. Challenge, challenge me. And, and read through Paul's prayers for, for everyone. He never prays for their circumstances to change. But instead that they would experience what they already have. The word of God. The riches of Christ. So this last image that I'd like to show you is, is really what superhero we can become um, if we... If we really study our word, I, I, I tried to get the most fierce-looking armor of God picture that I could come up with, but it, it does really give you the power. The word of God gives you the power for everyday life. It gives you the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and what else? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for, for all that you've given us. There's not a word that returns void. We just thank you that you've, you've given us for everything we need for life and godliness. You've given us the sword of your spirit, the word of God. And we know the power that has in our lives and those around us. We know how much power it has in our communities and in our churches and in our families. And we just know how much we need you, Lord. We know that we're in a, in a time right now that, that there is a drought of your word. And we see the impact. There's chaos. We just ask, Lord, that you awaken your people here and all of your people across the world, that we would, we would revive this nation, that you would give us the the strength in your word to, to bring out the truth to a world that, that is in darkness, that's suffocating. Just pray that this blessing over your people here, Lord, that you bless them with your word, that it would do a wonderful work in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. You can find our podcast on Spotify and iTunes. I also hope you will check out our workbooks on our website. They are all free for you to download. If you want to start a closer community, there is a how-to guide on our website as well. And of course, if you need support or have any questions, we are here for you. Check out our website at gracetoday.org slash closer. We are all about equipping individuals through their local church to grow closer to God and to others through a closer look at their Bible and a closer look at discipleship.